So 1 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 12, this is God's holy word. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, as we finished up Ephesians and are looking forward in coming weeks to begin in Luke's gospel this fall, we begin today another so-called summer series. We did this last summer as well. I hope you remember we went through the Great Commission, uh, several summer series sermons on the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his church. And over the next few weeks, including this morning, we're going to be considering from the Bible uh, some passages that contain in them a very unique turn of phrase, uh, language that occurs only five times in the Bible. Faithful is the saying. Faithful is the saying. Or here in the New International Version, here is a trustworthy saying. Have you noticed that as you read through the Bible, and particularly these letters of Timothy and Titus, that that's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. It's used three times in 1 Timothy, once in 2 Timothy, and once in Titus. Uh, It's a saying that's only found in what are called the pastoral epistles. First and second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. Pastor means shepherd because they were written to Timothy and Titus by Paul in their particular role as pastors or shepherds in Christ's church. And so we find this language and these five sayings in these pastoral epistles. Earlier in the life of the New Testament church, there was that transition time from Old Testament to New Testament, uh, and, and there were many things going on, not all of which are things that we are to imitate in the life of the church today. But by the time, even in the New Testament, that we get to First and Second Timothy and Titus, the church is entering into its more ordinary, regular pattern of worship and life and ministry. 
These five sayings then are in these letters which deal with the church, which deal with ministry in the church, which are intimately connected to the purpose of the church, as Paul writes to these early first century pastors. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul says, If I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. This is the regular life until Christ comes again of the church. And here we have these five sayings. And so we're going to look at them in turn. But the first is found here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. The glorious gospel, the good news, was entrusted to the Apostle Paul, he says in verse 11. And it has been entrusted to the church as well. What has God especially given to us as the church in trust? What are we stewards of? Well, we are stewards of his word. The church is the pillar and ground of truth, and especially the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. This is the message that has been entrusted to the church, and we are stewards of it. It's a gift given to us for which we will give an account. What is the church to be about? What is its primary work in the world? Well, it's this gospel good news. It's the proclamation of salvation. This is the uniqueness of the church in the world. You can go all kinds of other places to find all kinds of other things. But the uniqueness of the church is that we have been entrusted with the good news. And if we deviate from that, if we give that up, we've lost our uniqueness and significance in the world. If we're busy with other things primarily, literally, why on earth would people want to have anything to do with the church? We have nothing to offer anyone anymore if we've departed from the gospel. And sometimes churches that depart from the gospel and try to do things that the world is doing anyway never do it as well as the world. Our audiovisual stuff can't compare to Walt Disney. But we lose our uniqueness in the world the very thing that God has entrusted to us as stewards, his gospel good news. And Paul says that he was entrusted with that gospel. God has given us a new building in Russell. What's it for? What's it for? It is for the worship of God, connected and used for this trust, the stewardship of the gospel, first and foremost. And as Paul mentions the gospel, he can't help but think personally. And so in verse 12, and I thank God who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service as a gospel minister. 
These things weren't theoretical for Paul as he spoke and wrote. He was a great theologian. He was a tireless missionary. But he had experienced the things that he preached, the things that he had taught, and the things that he urged others to believe. He was a great scholar. But he never forgot that first he was a simple convert. And that's why he goes on to speak here personally. A simple convert. He couldn't get over what we considered last week. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And that's the context then of this first faithful saying, this this personal reflection of the Apostle Paul who had been entrusted with the gospel. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And this morning, just three things to say about this saying. Three things to say about this saying. First, it is a faithful word. Second, it is a gospel word. It is a word of good news. And last, it is a hopeful word. A hopeful word. Well, first, we see that it's a faithful word. And here is the unique language shared by all these five sayings. Here is a trustworthy saying. Or more literally, faithful is the word. Faithful is the word. Paul uses the word the simple word for faith in the New Testament, something that is true and believable and trustworthy. Now, that's true of all the Bible, of course. All the Bible is faithful and trustworthy. It is breathed out of the mouth of God, 2 Timothy three sixteen. So this verse isn't saying that all the rest of the Bible isn't trustworthy, but these sayings are as well. These sayings that somehow came to exist in the life of the church, we don't know exactly how. Sayings that were current at the time that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, these letters to Timothy and Titus, current in Christian circles by the time that Paul wrote. And Paul is emphasizing them when he thinks about them. As they come now into the Word of God, the inspired and inerrant and infallible Word of God, faithful is the saying, as with the rest of the Word of God, but here are some particularly faithful sayings to be noted. This isn't just Paul's truth. This isn't just empty fluff to fill airtime. This is a faithful saying. Isn't it wonderful to have a faithful word? A trustworthy word. I was thankful last week when I was asked to speak at a burial, at a graveside. What do you say? What, what can I say? What can I not say at a graveside? Those thoughts go through your mind. They fill your prayers when you're asked to speak at the 
side of a grave? What can I say? What do I dare to say? Not just to these people gathered here, but before God. What do I dare to say? It better be true. And it better be trustworthy. Or I wouldn't dare open my mouth. You can open your mouth in all kinds of ways and get patted on the back on the way out. But is it true? Is it trustworthy? Is it faithful to the God of truth? Well, here is a faithful saying, and what a blessing to have one. What a blessing in a world in which everyone seems to be saying, who can you believe anymore? Are you a bit skeptical or suspicious of the media these days? We should always be discerning. Always. Not just these days. Always. No matter from where you hear things, even the Bereans examine the scriptures every day to see if what the Apostle Paul was saying was true. What a blessing to have a faithful, trustworthy word. And that's what Paul says this saying is. This is what the Holy Spirit says that this saying is. It is trustworthy and faithful. And because it is, Paul here adds the practical implication. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's the proper response. That's the sane reaction. It deserves full acceptance, or in the King James language, this is worthy of all acceptation. As one writer said, it demands immediate, spontaneous, enthusiastic assent and endorsement. We should all say amen after we hear this. It is to be embraced, another writer said, with full accord of soul. It is worthy of full, all, every kind of acceptance. That's what it deserves. And so it begs the question of all of us this morning, doesn't it? What will you say about it? What will you say about it? God says, this is a faithful saying, it deserves all acceptance. This is a saying that divides, like the rest of the word of God, it divides people. Do you accept it? Will you accept it? God says it's worthy of all acceptance. It is a trustworthy word. Begs the question, where is my trust? If I'm not trusting this word and what it teaches, where is my trust? This is a trustworthy word that deserves full acceptance. Do I trust it? Am I accepting it? All of these questions flow out of Paul's language here. This is a faithful word. But secondly, it is a gospel word. It is a gospel word. One writer said this, the whole, this is the whole gospel in a sentence. Boys and girls, you may not memorize all of the five sayings that we're going to consider together, but I hope you, you start with memorizing this one. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners. Did you memorize that? The first faithful saying, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What a word it is. It's a good news word. It's a gospel word. It's so packed with doctrine, filled with teaching. Where does it begin? It begins with a person, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. The gospel, the good news, has to do with a person. It's not just a theory or an idea or even an ideal. It's not just one cultural myth that is better than all the other cultural myths. This is good news about a person. A him, Christ Jesus. In the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, 25 times Paul writes Christ Jesus. Six times he writes Jesus Christ. Don't know exactly all the significance of the order when it changed, but predominantly here in these pastoral epistles, Paul speaks of Christ Jesus. That title, Christ, comes first. And I think there's an emphasis when it's written that way. Christ Jesus. John Owen most usually referred to the Lord Jesus as the Lord Christ. The Lord Christ. Because that puts an emphasis, doesn't it? On who he is and why he came. Christ is the word for Messiah, Greek Christ, Hebrew, Messiah. When Paul here refers to Christ Jesus, he is in that one word calling all of the Old Testament into view because it's in the Old Testament that the Messiah is proclaimed and promised. It pulls all the Old Testament into this verse, Christ, Christ all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the Christ. Through all the prophets and the priests and the kings, Christ Jesus, the fulfillment of them all. Every promise, every picture, every pointer of the Old Testament ceremonial law concerning Messiah comes here in Christ Jesus. But what a thing for the Apostle Paul to emphasize, isn't it? The very thing that he once despised, that Jesus of Nazareth would claim to be Messiah. But now what does he say by God's grace? Faithful is the saying, Christ Jesus. Paul's conversion is wrapped up in those two words, Christ Jesus. And then he says, he came into the world. That's biblical language that captures who this person is. He is the eternal son of God who became flesh, who took flesh, a human nature upon himself. There's only one person who ever came into the world, the pre-existing eternal God, the son. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven. 
this language teaches the pre-existence and the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. We are from this world. He came into this world in the incarnation. But why? Why? When we begin to speak about Jesus, even Christ Jesus, we can often, and the church often has and does get distracted and deflected. 1961, the first day of training camp for the Green Bay Packers, the National Football League team, Coach Vince Lombardi gathered the men around him and holding a football in his hand, he said, gentlemen, this is a football to professional football players. He brought them back to the very first things. This is a football. Well, beloved, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come? To save sinners. Whenever we think about Christ Jesus, what are we to remember and focus on? He came to save sinners. And again, the church gets easily, it seems, deflected and distracted from that. There are all sorts of good things that we can do and that we should be doing. But the church sometimes limits itself. As one of my friends used to say, they, they start thinking the gospel is a clean shirt. Christ came into the world to save sinners. To save in the Bible means to rescue from danger and bring to a place of safety and blessing. What's your greatest danger? Sin. And what's your greatest need? To be saved. To be saved. Have you come to the place of seeing your sin and your need of a Savior? She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he it is who will save his people from their sins. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what the gospel is about, the salvation of sinners. This is the message. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is salvation, to be saved from sin by the Lord Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle said, It's easy to be a convert from one party to another, from one sect to another, from one set of opinions to another set of opinions. Such conversions save no one's soul. What we all need is conversion from pride to humility, from high thoughts of ourselves to low thoughts of ourselves, from self-conceit to self-abasement, from the mind of the Pharisee to the mind of the tax collector. A conversion of this kind we must experience if we hope to be saved. These are the conversions that are wrought by the Holy Spirit. Conversions that acknowledge our sin and my sin. Conversions that, by grace and the Spirit of God, look to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And how did Jesus Christ save sinners? Boys and girls, how did he do it? His whole life, 
of righteousness leading up to his sacrificial death on the cross. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the cross. Have you seen the new building this past week in Russell? Have you driven past? Maybe you did this morning. Have you seen the cross? It's horrible. It's horrible. I'm not talking about the workmanship. The workmanship is fantastic. But the cross is horrible. Have we forgotten what that cross means? It's nothing like the cross. It's the most ugly, horrific, scandalous symbol in the world. And the most glorious, beautiful, wonderful symbol in the world at the same time. Too close to feel the horror, the shame, the wretchedness, the rejection that the cross signified in the first century, in Roman times. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It was on the cross that Jesus said, in the place of guilty sinners, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cursed so that all those who look to him could be blessed. And then he was raised gloriously from the dead on the third day, showing his victory over sin and death and hell. Jesus saves us from sin, from the guilt of sin, from its penalty. He saves us from the power of sin, its reigning power in the lives of believers. And one day, he will save us from all the presence and all the misery of sin in glory. The original literally says, Christ Jesus came into the world sinners to save. Sinners to save. That's who we are. And when we really come to grips with our sin, there's no better news than this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, sinners to save, worthy of full acceptance. Not just the truth of the statement. The devil believes that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But do you receive him, the Savior, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Are you trusting in Christ? Has Christ saved you? Our sin is so great, Christ must save. William Henderson said it was to save sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world. He did not come to help them save themselves, nor to induce them to save themselves, nor even to enable them to save themselves. He came to save them. He is a savior, and he saves his people from 
their sins. That's why Tim Paul can write in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It all comes from him. And so go to him. Go to him. He said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. He said, all those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He saves sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world, sinners to save. It's trustworthy, faithful saying. And that is why the church is still in the world, to see sinners saved by Jesus. That's what we should be about as we go out into the world, baptizing, making disciples. Sinners being saved. The good news. Have we stopped being evangelicals? That's what the word evangelical means. The good news, the gospel. We are evangelicals. We believe the good news, and we proclaim the good news, and we pray and desire to see others believe the good news and receive the Savior. Some years ago, a study indicated that in the Western church, the American church, one in five churchgoers never prays for non-Christians. Have we forgotten the good news? Although the same study, although nearly three in four Christians say they feel comfortable sharing the gospel, the majority do not do so. 61% of evangelical Christians fail to share their faith on a regular basis, even though they believe it is their responsible responsibility to do so. Nearly half of the respondents said they've not invited a non-Christian friend to church in the past six months. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why we're in the world, beloved. And God hasn't whisked us away to heaven. And Christ hasn't returned yet. It is that this good news would be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And there is abundant grace for sinners. Abundant grace. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly. Here's the third and last. This is a hopeful word, a hopeful word. Can sinners really be saved? Have have we begun to doubt it? To think, well, maybe it happened in the first century, in Paul's day. Maybe it happened somewhere in ancient Scottish history or in Wales somewhere. Does Jesus really still save sinners? Can he save sinners? Can he save me? Can he save me? With all that he knows and I know about my life, can he save me? Or maybe you're thinking about a son or a daughter or a mother, or a father, or a husband, or a wife, or a particularly difficult neighbor. Can Jesus save sinners? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, Paul said. 
Paul's own biographical note is much more than that. He was, it was calculated in God's providence to save the Apostle Paul in order to encourage any and all to come. That's why he was saved. Not even primarily for his own blessing. But as he goes on to say, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul is a case study in the salvation of a great sinner. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Paul knew so much of the Bible, and yet he was a theological terrorist to the true church. But grace was shown to such a great Christ-hater and persecutor and sinner to be an argument from the greater to the lesser. No one is beyond the reach of his grace. No one is beyond the reach of his grace. This is the the lesson of this faithful saying, no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. The British Open is being played now, and it's at St. Andrews, which is called the home of golf, St. Andrews, Scotland. But the motto of St. Andrews, Scotland, the home of golf, is a Latin saying, dum spiro spero, dum spiro spero. And it means, while I breathe, I hope. That's a decent motto for golf. It's better for life. While there's breath, there's hope. I remember that when I speak to people, no matter who they are. When I pray for people, that in the gospel, according to this faithful saying, while there's breath, there's hope. We keep praying, and we keep speaking when we're able to speak. This is a faithful saying worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Don't write people off. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep witnessing. Remember this faithful saying. Remember it the way John Newton remembered it. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Jesus Christ came into the world, sinners to save. But there was a greater purpose still. He prayed in John 17, for I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Our salvation is not just for our blessing, but for God's glory. Matthew Henry said, the grace which we have the comfort of, God must have the glory of. And when we have found God good, we must not forget to pronounce him great. And that's what Paul goes on to say in verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.